Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 252, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode, we examine the track record of a merit pay pilot program in Dallas, Texas. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each episode, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This episode, a teacher tells us how she revamped a remedial reading class to foster a love for reading amongst her students. Stay with us. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Happy October. Yes, happy October to you as well. I mean, we're starting to cool down, I think, across the southeast, right? You guys got some cool air over there, right? And it's wonderful. Actually, we um, had some friends in town. You know, we live not too far from Disney World. They wanted to go to Disney World. Of course, we tag along. Um, It's the first time, I think, in years that I've worn sweatpants inside the parks so it was nice to have a a little bit of a break from the heat even down here in florida it was probably quite enjoyable too as you stood in line and you know go through the rigmarole and it wasn't too hot it we went in july one day and you know we we hydrate and we're in decent shape there was a day where we were there like three hours we're like i'm out like this is ridiculous it was so hot yeah Um, it was just one of those summers so yeah i think it's a much needed needed break um hey today i wanted to talk about a topic um that i think most educators don't really like the sound of but it 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 has to do with merit pay and we're going to evaluate how a merit pay program went in the city of Dallas because it's kind of come and gone and there's been some people who have looked at the data from it and uh, we'll just kind of look and see, did it work or did it not? What are your thoughts on merit pay? I think it would have to be a comprehensive program that could benefit every licensed educator and not just those in tested areas because that's where a lot of the problem comes in. Yeah. And saying that, you're probably not going to like this one, but let me kind of lay the the groundwork first of the program that took place in Dallas. And this article is from Education Gadfly. Um, Amber Northern is a person who kind of like describes the program and kind of looks at it. Uh, they say that it had to do, well, first back in like 2014, Dallas started a new performance evaluation process, which we're not going to dive into. Just know that it was like supposed to be more detailed. And then in 2016, they decided to take what they were learning from the evaluation as well as some other new factors and try to put what they considered by their evaluation process, the best teachers and principals into what they called their accelerated campus, excellent schools, which were their struggling schools in the city. Um, That's already an issue. Okay. So here's what happened. They, it was big bucks that they were throwing at their, what they considered their 
best ranking or best teachers and principals in the district. So like a high rated principal could make $13,000 more a year. An assistant principal can make 11,500 more. A teacher can make somewhere between six and $10,000 more. An instructional coach is $6,000 more. But to get the pay increase, educators had to be accepted to work at one of the district's lowest performing campuses dubbed the ACE school. So what are your thoughts so far? The pay scale is off. How so? You offer an additional 6000 for those academic specialists, and they are really hardcore um, in supporting teachers and supporting students. Why wasn't their supplement equivalent? That's a fair question, and I don't have the answer to it. But would you say that those type of dollars would motivate educators? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And that, I think that's what they found. So um, what they did with the, the educators that were already in the low performing schools, they had to go through a rigorous screening process to keep their jobs. And only 20% were retained within those schools and the rest were assigned, including principals were assigned elsewhere in the district. Okay. So they basically took what they considered the lesser performing principals and teachers, stuck them in what they considered better schools and then put their best people in the worst schools. So let's talk about a culture issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I'm identified as a lesser teacher, a lesser administrator, and I'm salty about it, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to provide lesser quality work. Yeah, and I don't forward. I don't know how that would have been delivered to them. I mean, you could, might be able to sugarcoat it somehow, but I don't know. Well, what do you think the parents and the students think? So I am now at the school with the sorry teachers like how do i get my child into the ace school i wouldn't say that like all the sorry teachers would have been in the good schools because some probably were like no i'm staying where i am this is a good school and i don't need the extra 11 grand or 13 grand does it matter what you say or how you describe it people are going to form their own opinions Right. And and so I'm sure they had a messaging challenge that they had to deal with there. Okay. So then major PR development was needed. And and it may have not been really discussed a whole lot that was happening. I I don't know. Um, You know, years ago in Dallas. All right. So we'll continue. Researchers followed data in the initial cohorts of the ACE schools, like the the low performing schools. And then they compared them to a control group of non-participating schools with similar incoming student performance. And they showed that A school showed an immediate significant improvement in student achievement, bringing their math and reading scores close to the district average. In the second and third year of the intervention, those A school scores continued to rise, showing that the more exposure students had to the highly effective educators, the better they did. And it's meanwhile, in the control group, the test scores flatlined. Okay. Well, we know that research tells us that anytime a child has one year with a poor teacher, it truly sets them back two years academically. So we know the benefit was going to be there. I guess my concern is just about the process Mm -hmm. um, of selection, um, announcing how the changes were going to occur. And then what do you do for the remaining teachers in schools? Because we need to replicate the success across the board. Right. And I guess that's why you Dallas could say, well, that's why it was a pilot program. We're seeing like, couldn't we push, can we push these buttons and change things or not? 
Um, but in the process of changing, and you, and you might be um, prepared to share this, what professional development did they put in place? What type of instructional support was provided to the ACE teachers? Did any of that part of the model change in order to positively impact student achievement? According to this article, no, but there is some talk about professional development, so stay with me. So they say that student achievement gains in the ACE schools were so great that by 2019, so remember they started in 16, so by 2019, three of the four initial A schools no longer qualified for the program, so they were no longer considered A schools. As a result, educator stipends from those schools were eliminated, um, along with other like after school, there were other like um, after school extra learning and programming okay. com- uh, components to it. So, uh, so then it kind of starts to fall apart, if you will. And then they say over 40% of the high performing teachers transferred out of their A schools and those who remained were assigned to professional development responsibilities outside of the classroom. So the former A schools then saw a stru- sharp decline in student achievement, reversing most of the previous gains. Well, if anyone was interested in replicating this model, you first have to ensure that you can sustain the merit pay. Right. Because to take it away, the families of those teachers benefited from that merit pay. And then to take it away, starkly changed their way of living. Yeah, I've always kind of felt that way. Like once you start paying somebody something, it's hard to go back. You know, it's essentially a demotion, Um, especially if they continue to form at a high rate. Right. Why would you take it away? Right. It's punishment. So here is the lessons, according to the researchers drawn from the Dallas initiative. First, significant pay incentives can persuade educators to transfer to a low performing school. They say that was a takeaway. Um, Second, reconstituting a school staff can make a dramatic difference. And third, good teaching and school leadership are keys to student achievement. And finally, it's if effective teaching and other program uh, programmatic elements are not sustained, everything falls apart. Kind of what's your thoughts on all that? True. I think that they hit the nail on the head. Um, You definitely should not. And this is a poor practice from a long time ago. You should definitely not take your best teachers and put them in classrooms with your best students. You need to put your best where your greatest needs are, but it doesn't mean or it shouldn't communicate that the poor or lesser teachers are with the high performing because they still need to be challenged. Um, I just think it takes a, a comprehensive approach. Everybody has to buy in and there needs to be merit pay or compensation across the board that can be sustained if you truly want to transform a district through that type of model. Now, did you tell me once that you all tried merit pay in the district you were in? Um, yes. Um, about 10 years ago, the state of Mississippi had, I'm not sure if it was a pilot program, but it was definitely new. Um, and it was tied to the teacher growth rubric at that time called MSTAR. And teachers that scored a 3.5 or higher earned additional pay. And so what you found there were was discrepancies in how school administrators viewed and observed or evaluated teachers across the board. And so you had one school where everybody scored a 3.5 or higher, and maybe right down the road, you had another school that only a few 
And mind you, the rubric um, was one to four. So four is the highest. And if every teacher in the building is a 3.5 or a four, then you should say that you have a model school. And so when a sister school did not receive 3.5 averages or higher across the board, it did create some animosity. It made it very difficult for school administrators and it was not sustained. It mainly because of the pushback from just kind of the pushback um, and then ensuring that administrators were evaluating equally across the board, interpreting standards and what you see within classroom instruction, the same across the board. It just I don't think that it rolled out effectively. Right. And, and so essentially, I guess most districts around the country like pay is basically based off of time. served A right? state scale. C- correct. Um, what you would have found if that had continued is that higher performing districts who are typically serve in higher economic areas would have benefited from the merit pay and high poverty, low performing schools would have continued to suffer and struggle and struggle and not receive applicants of high caliber to those types of districts. Right. And not really solving any problems, I guess you could say. Yep. All right. So uh, anyways, just wanted to share that with you. That's how the program went in Dallas. Take it away as you will. I'll share the link in the show notes if you want to take a deeper dive into the um, actual program. Christina, are you ready for today's bright idea? Yeah, let's roll. Our guest in today's bright idea segment is a high school teacher in Gainesville, Florida. Amanda Lacey was assigned to teach intensive reading to juniors and seniors who had failed the state test as 10th graders. It was quite the challenge, and she took it head on and transformed the curriculum with a socially relevant reading program. Amanda, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you. This was really interesting to me as I kind of read through through what you wrote. Like You um, were, I guess, assigned to take on uh, these students who who were really struggling in reading. Why do you think you were given that assignment? Um, Wow. You know, I think it was probably one of the reasons was it was kind of my turn. It's not a very popular position. It was a difficult job. You know, the kids, it's sort of like going to the dentist. You know, like the kids are embarrassed to be in reading. They don't like to go. And uh, teacher evaluations are linked to students so to have a whole class of kids that are struggling on the test that you're going to be evaluating on, it's just not a very attractive position for teachers. Um, I had, I loved my job. I had a good relationship with the kids as an English teacher. So I think they were hoping that um, I, I wouldn't mind it too much. If I'm hearing you right, you weren't super excited about taking on this course. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. I thought they made a mistake. I was hoping they made a mistake. Uh, I went to the principal's office. I said, oh, you wrote the wrong thing down on this paper. <laughs> right. It, it, do you remember what how the re- principal responded to that? Um. Yeah. He said, no, I didn't. Uh, I, you're going to teach reading le- next year. Let's go look at the room. And um, I'd been a teacher there for many years. I knew where the room was. Um, and they, they just were hoping it would be a good fit. Um, and they were right. But initially, I thought I would just teach it for a year. And you can in Florida, you can only teach for two years out of field. So I just thought I wouldn't get my reading certification and I would just go back to English. How quickly did you 
realize that you're going to have to make a big change. Did, did you know that before you even walked into the door? No, I didn't. Um, they'd been uh, using Read 180. It's a it's a program. If you're a reading teacher, you're kind of familiar with it. And before that, it was Jamestown Reader. Um, they're just sort of books with high interest uh, stories that are easy to read. And I just, the first two or three weeks, we were using them. And I mean, I didn't even think they were interesting. Which right. Is that a, was that was obvious, right? Right. It's a big red flag if if I'm not really interested in reading what I'm about to teach. Um, but I mean I just could see the kids just not just not engaging at all with the stories. And it's different. When you teach literature, there's sometimes a little bit re- reluctance, but there's a lot of transcendent qualities about some of the stories we teach that can pull the students in. Um, and they just didn't have that in these like high interest, low readability stories that they wanted us to use. And so if I understand what you did, I guess before you made any big changes, you kind of surveyed the students with a list of questions. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and they, you know, what are you interested in? What do you care about? What's on your mind? What are you, you know, and I mean, there were some things that were sort of universal or po- like, you know, a lot of kids are interested in sports that age. Um, you know, maybe it's college football, maybe it's pro football. Some people had an opinion about that. Uh, a lot of, you know, then I have some kids that were in our culinary magnet that were interested in cooking and stories about food and stories about food in other cultures. So, I mean, there were and some are interested in uh, military stuff, military stories, stories about soldiers. So I, I just, I, you know, keep a list of different classes and look at what was, you know, crossing over in each class. But I still would try to rep, like look at the students who maybe didn't weren't represented in a lot of areas. And I would pull things I thought that they would like to. And they, they acknowledge that. They could see that. I would say, hey, I, you, sa- you, know, you said you're interested in cooking and I thought we could read this in class. And they would say, what? You would do that for me? You no, know, that's really so, cool. Yeah. And so did you use that information? I, of course, you know, to educate yourself about what they're interested in. But did you use it to then bring it to your principal? Like, how did that happen to say, we need to do something different here? Um, well, I think because the fact that not a lot of people wanted that job, they were pretty happy that I was in taking an interest in trying to make it better. And my, my administration has been really supportive over the years. If I say, Hey, I have this idea. I want to try it. They said, okay, do it. Um, let's see how it works. So, uh, you know, I just started talking to them about using other stuff and they, they said, well, as long as they're reading, you know, what does it matter? It should be fine. Um, so they, they gave me the green light just to sort of, just to encourage me, but I'm, I'm not sure if they thought it would work as well as they did, but they also wanted me to have the freedom to do what I think that the students want. Well, and from what it sounds like, so you were about to give the students the, the opportunity to, to read things that they're interested in, but, but you did it in a pretty structured way, right? You, you had like a weekly schedule. Yes, definitely. And that's important. Um, and I just knew I was, I was, I, I knew from my experience as a teacher that, you know, for me in my classroom, for the students in my classroom, structure works really well. 
to, to have an expectation on Mondays. This is what we do on Tuesday. There's also um, a lot of the population, they're, they're, they're transient, they're moving, they're going to other schools, they're coming back. There's a lot of absences. So it's easier to, to just say, oh, remember, to, you know, Tuesday, we're doing discussions. So here's the questions you need to do these at home. So it, it just helps. Yeah, and I might be putting you on the spot to to recite some of the schedules. So, so let me know if I am, and I, I can help you out there with what I have in front of me. But but like you know, tell me like what Monday was. Monday, and tell me if I if, if I have something different. Uh, Monday, we're usually in the lab. Uh, we're reading um, the New York Times or the Washington Post, and you know, I'm just like read what you want, read what's interesting, and. Um, those days I kind of walk around, I see what they're reading. I talk to them about what they're reading or what was going on in their weekends. And so, um, that's what Monday looks like. Right. So, so, so you into the week. Right. And you're, and you're actually using, I guess, current events. It was kind yeah, of the assignment, yeah. right? And so as you kind of go through the week, did you, was it always current events or did you like cycle into different types of reading? Um, you know it it would it would be a little bit flexible usually we were in the lab sometimes there was well for instance in my class a few weeks ago i said hey i want everyone to read an article about the fire in notre dame and we're going to talk about it so i'll I'll sort of give a, a topic that i want them to but i'll still let them you know there there are many articles in the new york times about the fire um, and on the Washington Post, so people write different things. Sometimes I would do an um, an excerpt from a novel or something if the lab was not available. Often testing, we lose the lab, so I, I would just pull something or I'd just print an article. Um, but usually, it's um, I like them to have the choice. That's a huge part of it when you're talking about sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old students who are reluctant to read, choice is so huge. And adult literacy, like you and I, when we sit down, we're gonna read what we want from a paper, you know. You actually provided them what you called a few minutes of me. Can you tell me about that? Oh yeah. So um this is something um it's it's something that was inspired from Kelly Gallagher, and I don't remember the exact assignment that he does. It's, it's sort of a response to reading, and so I took it and I I changed it a little bit for the class, but they bring in something that they've read that they want to share with the class. And again, it's trying to give choice in reading and make it, um, you know, sort of enrich our classroom community. So said anything that, that means something to you. So I've had students bring passages from the Bible. I've had students bring, um, one student wrote a letter that his older sister wrote him before going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really sweet. Was it, was it um, read in front of the class? Like almost yeah, like open mic night, yeah. I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's sort of like that. Um, another student, um, did like a slam poetry thing. We're talking about open night, a poem that she wrote and she, she read it and this student that I'm thinking of, she actually started with her back to the class because she was so she was nervous and she didn't want to do it. And by the time it was over, she had turned around and everyone was cheering and hollering and, you know, encouraging her to go on. It, um, I read that you had one student that actually did one about how to create the perfect brow arch, like eyebrow yes. arch, right? 
Yes, yes. Um, she did, and um, she demonstrated on me, and she, we talked about it before, but she did that. Um, there, there have been um, a few students who've come in with tutorials, um, and then they have to write part of it, and then they'll write something that they're sharing. Um, how to apply your eyeshadow, how to have the perfect waves in your hair, the process to create good waves, um, which is really interesting and very educational for us. So, I mean, yeah, and people just, then they just get so excited about sharing. They ask if we can do another one because they have something else they want to share with the class. Um, some will do, praise songs from church and they ask everyone to sing along with them. Um, and you know, it's not, it's, it's mostly really great. It's mostly awesome. But I have had classes where it's just been a dud, like people bring in stuff and they read straight from the paper. And I guess it's like that in the professional world too. I mean, sometimes you get in front of a room and it, and it falls flat. So there's probably a lesson to be learned there as well. You, you have these students who, they they really were not performing well in terms of, of reading. They were they were doing poorly on the test. I mean, when you start seeing them get excited about reading content, I mean, how rewarding is that for you? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's it's the reason I decided to get certified in reading because it it's just it's fun. It's it's exciting. It's fun. It's interesting. Uh, students will email me links to things they're reading on ho- at home. Not even as an assignment. Hey, can we discuss this in class? You started this how long ago? Was this years and years ago? Well, probably about five years ago. And it was not something I sat down and it was perfect right away. It took three or four years to to tweak it. Um, lab days on Monday, for instance, it's a Monday is a high absence day with students. And it was, you know, like, students would miss the discussion. It was difficult to, to really have them get what they needed to from the discussion if they weren't there. Um, so that's why I made it sort of an independent reading day on Monday. What, what type of results have you seen? And, and when did you start to see those? Um, you know, probably, probably around four four years ago, three years ago, uh, there was a year we had 100% every single student pass their reading exam. Wow. And it was unprecedented. Um, and after that happened one time, it changed the tenure of the class. Like the inspiration, like the success was very inspiring. When the students in the class saw that other students were doing it and they could do it, then it started happening more. You know, the next year we had, you know, 98% pass. And so it just, you know, the the reputation of the class changed for something that people were embarrassed about, something that was um, fun and engaging. And um, just the kids knowing that other kids could succeed, having that confidence really changed it. It wasn't... I don't think it was just the reading materials. And for a long time, I felt like a, like a fraud because I'm like, this, I'm not really doing anything that's really specialized. It's just, you know, being engaged. Well, and, and, and I got I to gotta understand you there. You said you felt like a fraud for a while because I, I don't follow you there. We're just, 
you know, reading and talking about what we're reading. We're just taking a practice test and talking about it. But having the community and building the relationship with the students where they felt happy to be there and they felt safe and they were encouraged really breeds success. So it's not even the instruction was super specialized or, you know, anything that anything different than what I was doing before. It was just the community building and the engagement that changed it. Well, uh, Amanda, I think you certainly deserve some credit because it does sound like you guys got great results. And, and if I understand right, you guys even renamed the course or, or you renamed it to Critical Thinking and Reading for College Readiness. Is that right? Yes, we did. And was that like midway along the way? You're like, oh, we got to we got to change this. Or was that pretty early on? It was. And I mean, uh, teachers who are who are listening to this, who are reading teachers, they've probably had a similar experience where if, if it's the name like Read 180, students know that that means they're in a remedial class. Right. So they would make self-deprecating comments. They would tease one another. They would open the door to the class. So student I had first period. Sixth period walks and opens the door and yells, read 180, you know. Right, like it's so, a joke. Yes. So anytime you have a class, it's a remedial class, and it's given a name that everyone knows, it's just a bad, it's a label. It's a negative label. And the students don't need that. Well, it sounds like you did amazing work, and we really appreciate you taking the time to tell us the story. Um, if somebody wants to keep up with you or, or what you're doing, I mean, do you, do you like blog about this or anything, or, or you're on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I, I've not always acted. That's so embarrassing. That I'm actually I'm so busy usually lesson planning and pulling stuff for us to read that it's I don't have time to to curate a lot online. And this article, I will say, um, I guess was published originally in uh, English Journal. Is that right? Yes. So, yes. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Sure. Yes. All right. First question: If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Hmm. English literature. <laughs> what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Life management. What does every child deserve? Love. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I would say salary and class size. How large are your classes? Um, the reading classes are now pretty small. They, they have been 30 before, um, but there's a, a point where I've said, you know, I'm not going to do this if they're that big. Right. I just can't do what I'm doing. And again, thanks to my administration, who's pretty supportive. They're like, okay, <laughs> we want you to stay in there. We want everyone to be successful so we can make them smaller. Right now, my English classes are 29, 30. What's the best gift to give an educator? Ooh, hmm. that's a good one. <sighs> Dark chocolate or coffee? <laughs> um, which teacher changed your life? Miss Cole, my eleventh uh, and twelfth grade AP English teacher. She, she, I think about her now. I mean, she seemed like she was a hundred years old, but she. Um, she gave us, we wrote all the time in there. And not only did we write essays, but she would give them back within two days. Huh. 
and I, I don't even know how she did that now as a teacher I look back and uh, but that's that's where I learned to write that's where I learned to love writing and to love literature and she even she did the assignments with us she would share an essay that she wrote on the same thing which was great that is really cool you don't hear a lot of that no, no. She said, okay, so here's the essay I did on this and let me read it to you. And we'll talk about it. And it's not as good as some of the ones you guys probably wrote, but here it is. So she was just doing it with us. She was, she was awesome. And last question, pen or pencil? Pen. All right, Amanda Lacey, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Keep up Bye-bye. the great work. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>